One of my favorite things about the Christian about the Christmas season is light. It is a season of light. By design, Christmas comes at the darkest time of the year. And yes, I think you really can't make a good case that Jesus was born on December 25th or thereabouts, right around that date. Uh, and that is the darkest time of the year, at least uh, in our hemisphere. It's the darkest time of the year. By design, Jesus is sent into the world at the darkest time of the, the year. But the thing is, though it is a dark time of year, it's filled with light. This is the season of light. There are lights on Christmas trees. There are lights on houses. There's the soft glow of the Advent candles. There are bright lights in stores and restaurants and are there the rest of the year. Uh, I didn't grow up in Birmingham, but I had grandparents that lived here. And so uh, we would visit Birmingham uh, every Christmas when I was a kid growing up. And as we would drive into town almost always at night, I always loved to see that Regents building lit up in Birmingham. You know, it's got the stocking on one side and it's, it's got uh, what a Christmas tree on another side, just lighting up the whole Birmingham skyline. When I was a kid, those are some of my very favorite Christmas lights. They've been putting lights on that building, Christmas lights on that Regents building for a long time, going back to when I was a kid. Uh, on the other hand, uh, my grandfather used to say that his favorite lights at Christmas were the taillights on the cars taking the grandkids back home. <laughs> I think he was joking. I hope he was joking. <laughs> Maybe he was joking. Uh, but it is a season of light. The story of Christmas is the story of light. It's about light breaking into the darkness and light overcoming the darkness and defeating the darkness. My guess is that Christmas Day is just about everyone's favorite day of the year. Certainly for you younger ones, you kids here, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Christmas Day is your favorite day of the year. And it is a great day. But have you ever thought about the fact that that first Christmas was a day in the life of God? That first Christmas was an event in God's own Life. You could even say a kind of turning point in God's own life. It was an event like no other. It was a day like no other, even for God himself. John chapter 1, verse 14 explains it. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. At Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of the word made flesh into the world. The word, logos, the, the, the logos, took on flesh and entered into our history and our humanity. The divine word became a man. Consider what John means by word, by logos. He opens his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Of course, many have pointed out that this is John really planting the seeds of that teaching about God that would later come to be known as the doctrine of the Trinity. A lot of ink has been spilled trying to understand what John means by Logos. And I'm not going, going to go into all the different uh, possibilities or connections that are there, but just consider this. It's very obvious from the way John writes here that the Word of God is, of course, the Son of God. You could say, God the Father has had his Son from all eternity. They have had a father-son relationship. 
from all eternity. And their shared love, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Their, their, their bond is the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Spirit, you could even say. The Word has been with God from before creation. This is the Word that became flesh at that first Christmas. It's what we call the incarnation. God becoming man. The Word being made flesh. In sending His Word, this means that God has really sent Himself. Because the Word shares in all the Father's divine attributes and is one with the Father. It's not like God had a mission so He found somebody else who could go. God had a mission He underwent it himself as the Father sends the Son, as the Father sends his word into the world. According to Augustine, the Greek term logos was originally translated by the early church into Latin as sermo. Okay, that's that's the Latin word, sermo, that was used. Can you think of an English word that we get from that Latin word, sermo? Obviously, sermon comes from that, sermon, a, a message. So so you could almost read John 1 this way, those opening verses. In the beginning was the sermon, and the sermon was with God, and the sermon was God. The sermon was made flesh. In a way, that's what John is saying. And this then would be the point. Jesus is God's message to us. Everything God wants to say to us. Everything God wants to communicate to us. Everything God wants to show us about himself is found in Jesus. He is God's message. He is God's sermon. He is God's self-revelation. So the word is one with God and has always been God. That's how John opens his gospel. It's really interesting to me. You can actually compare uh, the beginning of John's gospel to the opening of the other gospels. And I think it's really interesting what you get. Each one of the gospels links the story of Jesus to what has gone before. So each one of the gospel writers will anchor Jesus at the beginning of the gospel to something that came earlier. So, for example, Mark opens his gospel linking Jesus to the prophecies of Isaiah. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel, and then he gives you prophecies from Isaiah, and he goes from there. So, obviously, he's tying Jesus back into what Isaiah prophesied. Matthew opens his gospel with a genealogy that traces Jesus' lineage back to Abraham. Luke goes even further, tracing the lineage of Jesus back to Adam. And we might think, well, that's it. That's as far back as you can go, right? I mean, if we were tracing our own heritage back to its origin, that's certainly as far back as we could go. We could go to Adam and Eve, but you can't go any further back. But John, in his gospel, goes back even further, back behind Adam and Eve. He goes all the way back to creation and even before creation. He tells us before there was a creation, there was God and his word. There was God and his son. He tells us the word was with God in the beginning and the word was God in the beginning. So the word is before creation. The word is behind creation. In fact, that's right where John goes with this in verse 3. John tells us all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. The echoes of Genesis 1 here are obvious in Genesis 1. What do we find? We find God speaking the universe into existence. God the Father spoke the worlds into being. And the Word, 
The Logos, the Word, is His agent in creation. This Word, this eternal Word, is a a Word of creative power. It is the life-giving Word. This Word has creative power. This Word is omnipotent. All of God's power is found in this Word, spoken by the Father. The Word is the agent of God in creation. Verse 4 goes on to say, And him that is in the word, in the Logos, was life, and the life was the light of men. So the Logos is from all eternity. It's been one with God from all eternity. The Logos was God's agent in creation. Now we find the Logos is life and light. All life, all light in the world come from him. They have their source in the Logos. So now we can really start to see what John is doing. This is what's so amazing about Christmas. And when I say we should think of Christmas as a day in the life of God, this is what I'm getting at. This is what I mean. The incarnation is nothing less than a new creation. But in this new creation, God dwells with his people in a new way. We could say it like this. The one born of Mary in the manger was none other than God himself in human flesh. The one born of Mary in the manger was none other than God himself in the flesh. Christmas celebrates God coming into his own world. The creator becoming a creature. God becoming one of us in order to save us. The eternal Son of the Father, who is the Creator, who has life and light in Himself, who shares in all the divine attributes, who existed before the creation. That Son became man. That Word became flesh. That divine being was born as an infant. That's what Christmas is about. As the classic Christian creeds say, He is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, of the same substance as the Father. That is who we're celebrating at Christmas. That phrase in the creed, light of light, obviously that comes straight from John's gospel, this connection of the Logos, the eternal Logos with light Here in John chapter 1. God dwells, we're told elsewhere, God dwells in unapproachable light. And yet now we find that light has approached us. The light has come to us in the word made flesh. That light has entered into our darkness. We made the world a dark place with our sin. Now God sends his own light into the world to reclaim his creation. We made the creation go dark. With our sin. We brought death and darkness into the world. Jesus came to be the light of the world. And so while we should certainly enjoy all that Christmas has to offer to the fullest, no doubt about that, we should never let the various accoutrements of the season distract us from what we're actually celebrating, what we're actually rejoicing over in this season. The truth that we're celebrating is this. Christmas is about God coming to us as one of us. It is about God's self-gift, God's self-giving love. It's about God giving himself to us in his son, in Jesus It's about the Word made flesh coming to dwell among us. It's about the Son of God becoming the Son of Man. 
It's about the light and life of God becoming incarnate for us and for our salvation. That's what we're celebrating. That's Christmas. And so keeping Christmas and celebrating Christmas means holding fast to these truths. You know, I think it's great that Christmas is celebrated so widely and gloriously in our culture. I think that's a good thing. But I think we also need to be very wary of anything that might distract us from these central truths. Because the world would love to take our attention off of Jesus and put it somewhere else. No, the attention during the season needs to be on Jesus as the Word made flesh. The mystery and reality of the Incarnation. That baby in the manger was God in human form. That's what we're celebrating. God coming to us in humble, self-giving love to rescue us. The sovereign creator becoming a helpless baby. See, Christmas was a day in the life of God. Jesus is God born of a woman. God in human form. It's about God experiencing human life and, yes, eventually even human death from the inside. God living out a human life in order to rescue us and redeem us. And, yes, that is an unfathomable mystery. And yet it's also the most foundational fact of the gospel because it's the incarnation that paves the way for his saving action on the cross and the resurrection. It doesn't matter... It doesn't matter what Jesus did on the cross if that's not the God-man hanging there on that tree. It only works, it only accomplishes our salvation because of who he is. Because he is God incarnate. See, that's what it means to say that that first Christmas was a day in the life of God. The incarnation. It's God entering into our world. It's like the author of the play has written himself into the script and now takes center stage and he's going to become the hero of his own story. That's really what the incarnation is all about. In fact, I find it so interesting. At the end of John's Gospel, John tells us that all the books in the world could never contain all the things that Jesus did. Even if you could fill all the books in the world, you still could not contain everything that Jesus did. There are not enough words in the world to capture what the Word made flesh has accomplished. We just run out of words to capture what the Word has done. You can never say enough about Jesus. There aren't enough words to capture what the Word has done. But there's even more to this that John gives us in this opening prologue. If we ask, okay, I see that. Jesus is the Word made flesh. uh, God coming to be with us. What does the incarnation really mean? How does this work? As John presents this fact to us, he shows us how the incarnation solves one of the biggest problems in the Old Testament scriptures. One of the biggest problems in the Old Testament scriptures is solved right here. The Hebrew scriptures stress again and again that no one has seen God. No one has ever seen God. Remember Exodus 33. It's one of those great passages in the Old Testament. Moses, he's led the people out of slavery in Egypt. They've they've crossed through the Red Sea. Uh, The tabernacle is being set up. All of that. In Exodus 33, they've gotten the Ten Commandments. All that's happened. In Exodus 33, Moses says to God, show me your glory. Moses wants to see God. Moses says to God, can I behold your glory? And God says back to Moses, you cannot see my face and live. So I will hide you in a rock 
And you will see my back as I pass by, but my face shall not be seen. Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, basically, you can't handle that. So I'm going to hide you in a a rock and I'm going to pass by and you will see my backside. But I can't show you myself face to face. But now, what does John say? He says, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Moses asked to behold God's glory, and God said, no, you can't handle it. Now John is telling us the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. To behold means to see. We see God's glory in Jesus. In fact, it's interesting. You can tell this is really what John is getting at. In verse 17, he says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So there's this contrast being set up here between Moses and what God revealed through him and Jesus and what God has revealed through him. Here's the point. It's not that the law is bad. It's just the law obviously is good. It's the law of God. The point is this. The law is inferior to the revelation of God we have been given in Jesus. It's like the law was a shadow and Jesus is the reality. The law is the pointer and Jesus is the one being pointed to. Under the law, Moses only saw God's backside, not his face. Moses' law, in fact, put up veils in the tabernacle so the people could not see God's glory there in the most holy place. Moses did not get to behold God's glory. Nobody in the Old Covenant gets to behold God's glory. In fact, John himself summarizes this Old Covenant situation under the law in verse 18. He says, no one has seen God at any time. Not even Moses got to see God. But now, John tells us, now the only begotten Son who is in the heart of the Father has made Him known. Now the the only begotten Son who is in the heart of the Father has revealed Him to us. The only begotten Son has shown the Father to us. Jesus, you could say, Jesus is the Father's show and tell. In Jesus, the Father is showing us Himself. This then is the point Jesus, this is the point John is making in his prologue about Jesus. Christmas, the incarnation, makes the invisible visible. That's what it's all about, making the invisible God visible. The unseen and unseeable God makes Himself seen. The incarnation shows us God's glory. The incarnation is God's unveiling. Remember, the the Shekinah glory of God was hidden away behind veils in the heart of the tabernacle in the Old Covenant. What is the incarnation all about? In the incarnation, God steps out from behind that tabernacle veil and shows himself to us. He comes out from behind the most holy place to walk and talk with us. He comes out from behind the curtain to be with us, to show himself to us. Jesus is God unveiled. Jesus is God's glory on display for all to see. And so we can say this, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to see God, if you want to see God's glory, look at Jesus. 
Moses had that desire to see God's glory. John is saying, now you get to, all of you get to see God's glory revealed in Jesus. That's really John's point. In Jesus, we see and hear God face to face. In him, we behold our God. This really is a theme in John's gospel. In John chapter 14, they're in the upper room. Jesus has washed their feet. Now he's starting to teach them. And Philip makes a request. Philip wants what Moses couldn't have. Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. Show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. This is just like Moses saying, show me your glory. And what does Jesus say to Philip? He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, the Son does what the Father does. The Son reveals the Father. He unveils the divine glory. In John chapter 5, Jesus says the Son does nothing except what he sees the Father doing. So it's like Father, like Son. Everything Jesus does reveals the Father. If you see the Son, you've seen the Father because the Son is the perfect mirror image, the perfect copy of the Father. In Jesus, we see the divine glory. He is the embodiment of God's glory. Jesus doesn't say to Philip what he told Moses so many centuries before. He doesn't say, oh, well, Philip, all you can really see is God's backside. Let me hide you in a rock over here. Cover your eyes and I'll show you what what, what I can't know. He says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He says, in seeing me, you are seeing God's glory. When you behold me, you are beholding God's glory right now. What Jesus does, God does. What Jesus says, God says. Jesus' story is God's story. The story of Jesus is the story of God. Jesus is living a divine life inside of his humanity. And in doing so, he is showing us who God is. What Jesus does, God does. Everything about Jesus reveals God to us. Now, all of this is really striking. I mean, how can, how can any of us really take this in? It's just, it's just staggering. It's, it's stunning to contemplate this. John is saying nothing less than this. In Jesus, we behold our God. In Isaiah chapter 40, when we actually sung from Isaiah 40 this morning, Comfort, Comfort, My People, that's just the first part of Isaiah 40 put to music. And Isaiah chapter 40 is this glorious prophecy of the coming kingdom. And there's a prophecy of John the Baptist in there and and making the way for God to come to his people. And Isaiah says, as God arrives, as the way has been prepared by John, and then as God arrives, he says, behold, your God. John is telling us the time has arrived. The time is now. In Jesus, we see the glory of God. In Jesus, Moses' request is answered. In Jesus, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled. But still you might wonder, well, how? Is there any any more we can say about this? How does Jesus reveal God to us? Well, think about it this way. This is a way to think about the incarnation. Imagine if the sun, I mean the S-U-N, the sun that shines in the sky. Imagine if the sun came to live with us on earth. I mean, I know it's really big, that's hard to imagine, but imagine if, if the sun, that flaming ball in the sky, came to live with us 
on earth. What would happen if the sun came close? What would that be like for us? Well, certainly you couldn't look at it. You couldn't behold the sun. You couldn't look at it. I mean, even 95 million miles away, even with sunglasses on, you can't look straight at the sun. It hurts your eyes. It it, it burns your eyes. So what would happen if the sun was brought close right here where it's as if we're face to face with the sun? It would completely blind you if you tried to behold the sun that close up. Not only that, but think how hot it would be. Even at 95 million miles away, the sun can burn us. You know, so we'll put on sunscreen for protection, and yet still we can get sunburned. But again, what if the sun was right here with us, super close to us, dwelling with us? The sun would burn us up. The sun is this blazing, bright inferno. It's too bright and it's too hot for us to handle. Now think about this. That sun that hangs in our sky, that sun is just a faint symbol, a created representation of Jesus, who is the light of the world, who is God's own glory. See, think about this. When in the Old Covenant, when God put up veils to keep people from beholding his glory in the most holy place, when God put up those veils, those curtains, it was really for their good. It was to protect them from something they couldn't handle. It was to shield them from something they weren't ready for. It was really for their good, for their own protection. So now, when God has come out from behind the veil, when God comes out from the most holy place to to walk with us and talk with us face to face, what keeps us from being blinded? What keeps us from being burned up? How can we behold God's glory without being destroyed by it? How can we behold God's glory without being overwhelmed by it? Well, there's a wonderful line in that uh, hymn by Wesley, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We're actually going to sing that hymn this morning at the end of the service. There's a great line in that hymn that I think captures this. It's that line, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. See, now the flesh of Jesus is like a veil. It's not a veil that hides. It's really like a transparent veil. It's not a veil that hides because we really do see the glory of God in the flesh of Jesus. But it's it's a veil that makes it possible for us to behold the glory of God in the flesh of Jesus. It's not a veil that hides like the old covenant veils in the tabernacle. It's a veil that allows us to behold him, to grasp him, to touch him, to see him. We have to have this veil of his flesh because it's the only way we can look upon God without being destroyed. God becomes man to show himself to us in the ultimate way. God becomes man to show us who he is. God becomes man to give himself to us. We see the glory of God in the flesh of Jesus. That baby in the manger reveals the glory of God. That full-grown man, Jesus, nailed to a cross, hanging on that tree, reveals the glory of God. 
God says, you want to you see me? Here, let me show you what I'm like. I'll come and be born in a manger, the lowliest place. I'll come and I'll suffer and I'll die on a tree in a curse of death. Death by crucifixion. God says, you want to see me? Look at the manger. Look at the cross. This is where my glory is revealed. When you see Jesus, you see God. Everything Jesus does, God does. Jesus is the divine glory in human form. Like Moses, do you want to see God face to face? Do you want to see God up close and personal? Look at him in Jesus. I can promise you, if you try to seek God anywhere else, outside of Jesus, his glory will destroy you. The one and only place you can see God and seek his face and behold his glory is in the man Jesus. And seeing Jesus, you see God. And it's so interesting in John's Gospel, seeing is believing. The right kind of seeing is believing in John's Gospel. So, John 6.40, Jesus says, Everyone who sees the Son and believes Him has everlasting life. Seeing and believing go together. You see the glory of God in Jesus. You behold the glory of God in Jesus you believe in him and you have everlasting life. In John, in, in John chapter 20, remember Thomas, he was not there for the first round of resurrection appearances. So Jesus comes back on the next Sunday and now Thomas gets to see the wounds of Jesus, the, the crucifixion scars in the resurrection body of Jesus. And in seeing, he believes. In seeing, he confesses, my Lord and my God, he realizes in seeing this man, I am beholding the glory of the Lord. The glory of God is here. Moses said, show me your glory. And the answer to that prayer is found in Jesus. Jesus is the very revelation of God's glory. Jesus turns the life of God inside out. He shows us God. He shows us true Deity, in Jesus, God has opened himself up to us. God says, you want to know what I'm like? Here, this is me. This is what I'm like. Jesus is the light of God coming into the world. Christmas is the celebration of that light. Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. He is the light and the glory of God wrapped up in human flesh. So we can behold him. He is the holy of holies unlocked. He is the invisible made visible. He is the hidden God now revealing himself. He puts the very heart of God on display. Jesus is God dwelling with us. God making his home with us and even in us. Jesus is God inviting us to make our home in him. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead See, hail the incarnate deity. Let me give you one more thing to think about here as we wrap up. Because all of this, this is the reality of what the incarnation is. It is a revelation of who God is. Jesus is very God of very God. But everything we've looked at so far is really only part of the truth of the incarnation. Jesus reveals true Godhood. He is God of God, but you know what else is true of the incarnation? Jesus also reveals true manhood. 
He is man of man. Very man of very man. And the prologue of John's Gospel presents Jesus in this way as well. And we've got to see both sides of this, that he's fully God and fully man. So John's prologue presents Jesus to us and says, Behold your God! But then think about this. Later on in John's Gospel, when Jesus is on trial, Pilate brings him out with a crown of thorns on his head. And like most everything else that Pilate says, he's speaking far more truth than he realizes. Pilate brings out Jesus with a crown of thorns on his head. And Pilate says to the crowd, Behold the man! Behold the man! In Jesus we behold our God. But in Jesus we also behold our humanity. He is true God and He is true man. We can point to Jesus and say, Behold your God. And we can point to Jesus and say, Behold the man. Those two together. That's really what John's Gospel is about. He is fully God. A full revelation of the divine glory. And He is fully man. A revelation of true humanity. Of ideal humanity. If Jesus is not true God, then we still don't know God. God has withheld Himself from us. He has not come to us and given Himself to us. And so, really, if Jesus is not God, we're just left to save ourselves. We don't have a Savior. So He's got to be true God to rescue us. But He also has to be true man. Because as man, He becomes the connection point. The one who brings heaven and earth together. In him, deity and humanity are joined forever. If he's only partially human, or if he only appeared to be human, then he cannot be the bridge that connects humanity and deity. He reconnects God and man. The the bridge wouldn't stretch all the way if he's not fully man as well. The only way For God to reach us and rescue us from sin and death is for Jesus to be fully God and fully man. His death and His resurrection only work to redeem us because of who He is. Because He's the God-man. That's why Christmas is foundational to Good Friday and to Easter. Everything flows out of this. This is the great turning point when God becomes man. And so we can say, Jesus reveals the true God. He also reveals the ideal man. In Jesus, we behold the glory of God and the glory of man. So it is true. If you want to know what God is like, Look at Jesus. But it is also true, if you want to know what you should be like, look at Jesus. Behold your God. Behold the man. Jesus is the man who embodies grace and truth, who fulfills the law of love Perfectly, He is the man who lays down his life for his bride. He is the man who embodies self-gift and self-giving love. This is the true man. Very man of very man. He shows us true humanity. What man is supposed to be as the image of God, Jesus is. 
Jesus is not somehow less human than we are. If anything, he's actually more fully human than we are. And so while, yes, the story of Jesus is the story of God, the story of Jesus should also be the story of man. The story of Jesus should be your story and my story. The shape of his life should be the shape of your life. Because we should become like Jesus. And if we do, when people look at us, they will see Jesus. They will see a Jesus-like, Jesus-shaped life. And so insofar as we imitate Jesus in the way we live, not only do we reveal Jesus' true humanity, but through that we also reveal God's glory as well. Because Jesus is both God and man. So as we seek to be like Jesus, we shine with the light of God's glory into the world. And that light overcomes the darkness. See, the mission of Jesus' incarnation really continues in us and through us. That's what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. That's why at the end of John's Gospel, after he's resurrected from the dead, he gathers his disciples and he breathes out his spirit upon them. And he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. I've laid the foundation for this work. I've brought life and light into the world. Now you go continue this work, spreading this life and this light all around. I've revealed God's glory. I've revealed true humanity. You go continue this work. I'm going to continue my work through you. That's what Jesus is saying. See, John tells us that when Jesus came into the world, even though he made the world, the world did not know him. Even his own, even when he came to his own, the Jews, they did not receive him. In fact, they attacked him and ultimately crucified him. The incarnation is a mission. It's a war mission. The incarnation is a kind of invasion. It is the light shining into the darkness, overcoming the darkness. The the darkness cannot extinguish this light. The light's going to drive out the darkness. The incarnation is God setting up shop in what has become enemy territory under the reign of sin and death. Again, Christmas comes at the darkest time of the year because that's when the light breaks forth. Jesus entered the realm of darkness to conquer it. In the incarnation, it's like Jesus drops in behind enemy lines so he can defeat the enemy from the inside, from Within Jesus' whole life was one of war. He was fighting the war for the light to overcome the darkness. He fought this war to drive out the darkness. He fought this war to restore shalom, to restore peace to God's creation, to restore us to what God meant us to be. And God now continues that warfare with us. He wants us to be light bearers. He wants us to drive out The darkness. He fought the battle to give us this victory, overcoming the darkness of sin and death and making us whole. Now he wants us to continue that work, that warfare as his people. And when we do this, what do we find? We we find as we follow Jesus, not that we become less and less human, but we become more and more fully human. That's why it's been rightly said. Becoming a Christian doesn't make you less human. 
It makes you more human. We become Christians so that we may become truly and fully human. Because true humanity is found in Jesus. The church fathers had a saying, the Son of God became man so men could become sons of God. And I like that and that's true. But I also like the way Luther took that and altered it or added to it. He said God became man so that man might become true man again. So we could become truly and fully human again. Sin has dehumanized us. The gospel rehumanizes us. Sin has caused us to lose our humanity. It's marred and disfigured the image of God. Jesus came to restore that humanity, to make us whole again. The gospel doesn't negate our humanity. It restores it. And so as Christians, we can say nothing human is alien to us. It all belongs to us. God did not make humans to live in the darkness He made us to live in the light. Living like Jesus is doing what we were made to do. There's really nothing more natural. This is what we were made for, to live lives full of grace and truth like Jesus. He is the life and light of men. He brings new life into the world. His light overcomes the darkness. His light and his life are in us. His glory shines upon us and in us and now through us because we are his redeemed and restored humanity. And that's really what Christmas is all about. What should be at the top of your Christmas wish list? It should be a savior. But God has given you that savior in Jesus. The best Christmas gift ever is the gift of Christ himself. The God man. Sent into our world to reveal God and to restore humanity. This Christmas, let's together behold our God. Because our God is revealed in Jesus. And let's look to Jesus as the ideal man, as ideal humanity. This Christmas, behold true deity in Jesus. Behold true humanity in Jesus. It is all in Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.